0: at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. All right, we'll pause the singing right there and use that opportunity to encourage you youngsters that are practicing piano. I'm looking at one in the orange shirt in the back there, I think. You have a place of ministry in the church, my friend. Yep, you just keep on working at that, and you'll be ready to serve the Lord. So we're going to turn our attention to the Word of God this morning. We're around the table of the Lord today. Uh, We have a little bit of a different setup because of Vacation Bible School. We'll have a couple other props put back here after the Lord's table, and then uh, I'll be preaching from here, but you see the table is set off to the side uh, just because of space constraints here this morning not that it's of secondary importance, but uh, we always do have the pulpit in the center, almost always anyway, or the center of where we're sitting because that's a symbol of the word-centered nature of the church. You might notice other churches, they'll have the so-called altar in the center and they'll have a pulpit off to one side and off to the other where they do the reading of scripture. Well, that's saying something. That's saying that the Eucharist, for example, is the centerpiece In a church like ours, a Bible church, the Word of God is the centerpiece, and of course, you know, we partake of the ordinances of the church as well, but the Word of God is front and center each and every week uh, in the church. My message this morning is uh, not a, how can I say, a heavily doctrinal treatise. It is this question, what does it mean to love God? what does it mean to love god and and the application question i'll put up front and that is do you love god do you love god from my perspective and from any christian minister's perspective any christian perspective it seems that you should want to love god for at least four reasons first of all if you love the lord there's kind of a self benefit attached to that uh, i'm thinking of romans chapter 8 and verse 28 remember that verse? All things work together for good to those who, it doesn't say all things work together for good to those who hate God, or all things work together for good to those who are just kind of, eh, about God. Those who love God, because God has worked his love in them, of course, and turned them into saints and made him his people, they love him in turn because he loved them and He then works out the things in the lives of his people in such a way that they all turn out for good, even if they are themselves not good. Obviously, there are things that are not good in this world, but God works them out for his good. You think of the death of Christ, for example, the supreme not good thing that could have ever happened, the supremely unjust thing that happened was a totally innocent man condemned to die and from the world's perspective, of course, that was one thing, but from God's perspective, it was an accomplishing an entirely different thing. But those who, are, uh, lo- who love the Lord are also called according to his purpose, and what God purposes, he will carry out. He will accomplish those purposes according to Romans 8.28, no matter what happens. And so we should want to love God because loving God makes it so that whatever happens to us in life, our loving Father will take care of so we don't have to worry about, ultimately, those things that happen in our lives. Secondly, if you do not love the Lord Jesus, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16. I relied on your memory for Romans 8.28, but I bet if I said 1 Corinthians 16.22, probably most of you would struggle to remember uh, how to hum that uh, tune. <laughs> yeah. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. So not only is there a self-interest in the positive, loving God means that God works those things out for good, but there's a self-interest in the negative. Not loving God means that you are accursed. If you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ then the scripture are, is giving here an anathema, really, a an uh, impre- imprecation, a a prayer of disaster upon the person who does not love the Lord. Um, that's just what the scripture says. Deal with it, you know? I mean, I I'm just the messenger here, and I believe what God's word says. Thirdly, you should want to love the Lord because God's word commands it. God's word commands it. Starting way back in the beginning, of the uh, scriptures back in the Pentateuch, Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, and you're very familiar with this, but it says this in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy and verse number 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. So we try to teach our children and you yours and we, our church family, loving God is beneficial to your soul. Loving God is the only way to be truly happy. Loving God is the the supreme thing that can be loved in life, and it comes out to your benefit in the end to do so than than loving, say, the things of the world. Deuteronomy chapter 11 uh, is another one. 11.1, therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. And then, of course, Matthew 22 and verse 37, you're familiar with the question that was asked of the Lord, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And the Lord responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so, uh, of course trying to love your neighbor without loving God ultimately is going to come into an impasse. You're not going to actually be able to end up doing that properly, but loving God first and loving your neighbor and the Lord just says, look, on this on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. I mean, these are the these are the strong pegs in the in the hanger on your wall that hold all the coats. All the all the laws based on love God and love your neighbor if you do those things then you don't need to be told not to have any idols not to use the name of the lord in vain you don't need to be told to honor your father and mother to not steal not covet not commit adultery and all those things because those things aren't loving to your neighbor and certainly are not loving toward god and i i didn't write down all the verses that i could find on this but there are certainly dozens i'm sure that allude to this idea if not directly indirectly that God commands us to love Him. So you should want to do that because you know that what God commands for us is for our good. God never commands something that's for our evil or for our bad. You know that? Yeah, we, we firmly believe that. Fourthly, we're, we're still dealing here, if you're just coming in, with the importance of the question, do you love God? And we're saying we should want to love God because He loves you. That's the fourth you know it's it's good for you, and uh, God commands it, but He also loves you. John three sixteen God and this manner, loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Romans chapter five eight and God demonstrates His love toward us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First John chapter four and verse number ten, the Scripture uh, says uh, the same kind of thing. In 4.10 it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent us His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we loved God. Of course we do love God, but we didn't start out loving God, did we? Who did we start out loving? We started out loving ourselves. We didn't love our neighbors. We didn't love God. We started out loving ourselves. Ourselves were the only people we could think about, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4, it says, oops, I just went past it here. Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God loved us first, therefore we love him. He loves us. And so can you imagine the... The feeling, if I may put it anthropomorphically, in God's heart of unrequited love. Have you been in a situation where you've had that kind of thing in your life, where you've loved someone who hasn't loved you back, who maybe owed you their love, who previously promised you their love, um, who should be thankful for all that you've done for them? Think about God. He loved. Us and we turn our we turn our backs on him often too often times. So that's the importance of the question. We ought to want to love God and then love. Uh, the second point in my notes here is there's an external manifestation of our love for God. The external manifestation is shown in our uh, our love for God on the outside by our obedience to Him. You know how how do people know or how does God know that we love Him? Well, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So there's a Uh, clear uh, explanation of what love looks like on the external side, including our choices and our attitudes, which are externally visible. Loving God will be displayed in loving our brother and loving our neighbor. If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen? And so the external manifestation of love is clear another external demonstration of love for god is gratitude toward him instead of complaint 1st uh, Thessalonians 5:8 and everything give thanks it doesn't say in everything make your complaints be known <laughs> to god or something like that it's to give thanks in all things and so we express our love for god in in gratitude you might also you might think just on your own of other character traits that we would you know, exhibit if we were to express our love for God. But gratitude is one of the first ones that came to mind to me, that you would show that you are thankful to the one that you love. But there's a lot more to the love of God than just externalities. There is also a very important internal factor in our love for God. And so we're asking ourselves still the question, do you love God? Is it important to you? Is it externally manifest in your life? But also, is it internally evident to you? And only you would know this. Only you would know this, or perhaps perhaps others would know it by your external manifestations or lack thereof. We know how love for God is supposed to manifest itself externally, but what about internally? What does it look like? In the secret recesses of our hearts, when we ask ourselves the question, do I love God? Well, first of all, if you love God, you trust in Him. You trust in Him. Uh, Particularly when something challenging, we'll say, bad, (laughs) happens in your life, you trust in God. Or something that you don't understand fully why this is happening, why God does things this way, why has he permitted this to come into my life, when those things happen, you trust him like a dear friend, like a spouse, like a parent. Even when you do not fully understand what's going on, you find a kind of restfulness, a lack of anxiety, and a rejection of objection to what God is doing because you are in his care. God trust you. Uh, In Proverbs 31, it talks about the relationship of a a, a good marriage relationship between a man and his wife, and it says, and his heart safely trusts in her. His heart safely trusts in her. And so the trust and the love come together. What happens when trust breaks down in that kind of relationship? The love fractures too, doesn't it? That's because the two are so closely tied together. If you have zero trust, how can you say that you have love for that person, a real kind of full-throated love, you know, a a fullness to that love? You don't. Uh, So internally, if you love God, you will trust in him, especially when you don't understand uh, what it is. Just like a child, the Lord talked about children. Let the little children come to me and uh, talked about children being an illustration of believers. And believers, like children, when are faced with some kind of challenge, they look to their parents. And they might not know, you know, they've got some medical problem and they don't know what to do. All they, do, all they know to do is look to mom and, with tears in their eyes and say, Mom, help me. My, you know, my, my, my ear is terribly hurting me. What do I do? Well, the child doesn't know what to do, but mom knows what to do. <laughs> Take the little one to get the examination and get the antibiotic, and uh, you know the, the child doesn't know, what are they sticking these things in my ear for and all this? Trust your parent and, no, and know that this is going to be okay. It's going to turn out okay because your parent knows what is best, and so your heavenly parent, your heavenly father knows also. Other internal factors. If you love God internally. You will not love the world. In fact, you'll have a holy distaste for the things that are in the world. I'm not talking about the neutral things or the good gifts that God gives as if all material is bad. You are very thankful for a soft chair this morning. That's not loving the world, but loving the world system, the way they think, the cultures, the uh, approaches the thinking, the teaching, the indoctrinations, the, the ways of how they do things. I'm, you know, and I'm thinking here of the internal itching desire for the ways of the world. You know, I want to throw off the restraints that uh, are put on me by Christianity or by God. I want to just be my own person and do my own thing with no constraints. That's not me. I'm illustrating now, okay? Doing that is going to open you to terrible dangers in your life. But the itching desire internally for the world's ways, for their possessions, for their thinking, and so on, this is a lust, and it's overcome in the believer by the believer, and his love for God induces him or her to make choices other than the pursuit of worldly pleasures. So if you love God, you will not love the world. So we could ask the question, again, in the reverse, not do you love God, but we could ask it this way, do you love the world? Because if the answer answer to that really tells you the answer to the other. At At least in the Christian context. Now, some people could say, well, I hate this world. But they don't mean that they love God. They mean that they hate everything, and they're kind of in an a nihilistic approach. You've met people like this, I'm sure. you know they don't like how things are. they complain about it all the time. There's nothing that can be done about it. Scrap the whole thing, throw it out, start over, um, but they have no love for God in their hearts. So don't, don't take what I said just a moment ago too far. If you don't like the world and you love God, you're in the right spot. If you truly love God. Another reason here, or internal factor, I should say, is this. You will feel an inner compulsion to be with God, an inner compulsion to be with Him, to speak to God in prayer, to read His Word, to be with His people and the like. Listen to some of these verses. Psalm 84, 2. My soul longs for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out, for the living God. Psalm 84.10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's a little hat tip to the gentleman in the back row back there who often says that. <laughs> Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119 says the same in a couple of other places as well. So the person who loves God, longs for the presence of God, wants to be with God, near God's place. He wants to express his love for the law of God. I mean, that's weird compared to what the world thinks, Just to say, I love the word of God. I love God's law, his statutes, his judgments, his precepts, his doctrines. That's not what the world does, but that's what we do. Psalm 1.2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, our spirits resonate with this verse. We just reach that perfect resonant frequency. When we read Paul say, pray without ceasing, we know absolutely that's what I want to do. I want to be praying all the time, be in a standing of prayer, be ready to pray at all times, praying earnestly, fervently, righteously, That's the kind of inner compulsion that love for God is. If you don't have that, then may I appeal to you, you need to be on your face before God until you have it. You need to ask God. If you love Christ also, you will desire to live for him instead of for yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge if one died for all. Remember that? and that he died, that we should not live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. That's what scripture teaches. That's what Paul wants to communicate to us. We will desire to live for him instead of for ourselves. You can see some of the other characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians 13. You're familiar with that passage. Now, that's in the, in the context of the enduring quality of love as over against the other spiritual gifts, uh, especially prophecy and tongues, which will come to an end. But we also can be reminded from that verse that one's love for God is not an on-again, off-again. It says love endures. It never fails. Our love for God is not on-again, off-again, nor does it cease. Someone who truly knows God and loves Him cannot cease to do so. Cannot cease to do so. We love God and... That's an enduring kind of love. Well, that's the sum and substance of what I have for you today. Um, it may be a short message because we have a short time, but it's not an unimportant message, is it? If you love God, uh, a lot of other things will take care of themselves, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so let's uh, let's ask God to help us with that. And we come to the table of the Lord this morning, and we're really glad that. We can do this because it's a reminder for us that Christ died for our sins and rose again. As we come to the table, I wonder if we could sing 289, O Sacred Head, and uh, yeah, Christy, we'll, we'll uh, volunteer you for the piano duty this time. 289, O Sacred Head. I think this is the version I'm thinking of. And... Um, We'll sing this, and then we will ask the gentleman to come forward to help us to share the elements of the table this morning. After we finish singing, uh, uh, then we'll just close the uh, live stream and, and have our Lord's Table celebration privately here.